السلام علیکم و رحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمد رسول الکریم اما بعد فعود بلّہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم ربش رحلی صدری ویسرلی امری وحل العقدم السانی قولی رب نازدنا علما باب رف العلمی و ظہور الجہلی چیپٹر رف العلمی رف the lifting up of meaning the removing away of al-ilm knowledge wa zuhuri and the appearance the dominance of al-jahl of ignorance meaning a time when knowledge will disappear and ignorance will become widespread the purpose of this chapter heading is to encourage people to gain knowledge why because a time will come when knowledge will disappear and ignorance will become more widespread so before that time comes What are we supposed to do? Gain knowledge. Because we learn that ignorance will become widespread and knowledge will disappear. How? By the death of Ahlul Ilm. By the going away of the people of knowledge. When they will go, when they will die, with them knowledge will also go away. That is how it will disappear. So before that time comes, what are we supposed to do? Gain knowledge. وَقَالَ رَبِيعَةُ And Rabi'ah said, لَا يَنْبَغِي لِأَحَدٍ It is not suitable for any person who عِنْدَهُ Who has شَيْءٌ something مِنَ الْعِلْمِ of knowledge أَن that يُضَيِّعَ نَفْسَهُ He wastes himself. It does not behoove, it does not suit a person who has been given even a little bit of ilm that he wastes himself. It does not behoove him. When Allah has given him knowledge, then he should not waste himself, rather he should make himself extremely productive, extremely beneficial. He should use the ability that Allah has given him. Who is Rabi'ah? Rabi'ah is Abu Abdul Rahman. He is the faqih of Medina. And his story, all of you are famous with. The one who was very young and his father had gone for jihad. And when he returned, he did not even know that his son had become one of the most learned men of Medina. So he said that لا ينبغي لأحد It does not behoove any person عنده شيء من العلم who has even something of knowledge that يضيع نفسه that he wastes himself. What does he mean by this statement? That what he means is that a person who has been given knowledge a person who has been given understanding of their religion who has been given this قابليه this ability to learn, to teach to benefit from that علم himself and also other people then it does not suit him that he takes it very easy on himself and he does not occupy himself, he does not busy himself with the learning and teaching of ilm. A person who has been given that talent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that talent to learn, that ability to learn, to memorize, the ability to explain things clearly, to tell other people about it, to share the knowledge that he has been given, then he should not waste himself by keeping that knowledge to himself. No. A person who has been given that ilm, who has been given that talent, he must not waste himself. He must occupy himself. He must busy himself in learning, in teaching. Because if he will not do so, then what will happen? Eventually a time will come when knowledge will disappear and ignorance will become more widespread. And if a person who has been given knowledge, if he does not share that knowledge, if he does not spread that knowledge, then what is he doing? He's wasting that ilm. He's wasting that talent, that skill that Allah has given him. Just imagine a person who has a degree, a person who has 
who is for example a trained doctor but they don't practice what they have been trained to do they don't practice what they have learned then what are they doing they're wasting all the effort that has been put in in learning that knowledge and they're also depriving themselves and they're also depriving other people of great khair so especially when it comes to the religion of Allah the ilm of the sharia then a person who has been given that knowledge must not waste himself he must spread that knowledge and also a person who has been given knowledge does he not have the opportunity to really gain high darajat in this dunya and in the akhirah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, يَرْفَعِ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمُنُوا مِنْكُمْ وَالَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْعِلْمَ دَرَجَاتٍ And these darajat are in dunya and in the akhirah. But if a person has been given knowledge and he does not use that knowledge to get darajat in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then is he not wasting himself? He has the opportunity to really excel by implementing that knowledge, by sharing that knowledge. But if he does not use that opportunity, then what is he doing? He is in fact wasting himself. Because the good that he could bring to others, the benefit that he could bring to himself, he's not doing that. By just hoarding that knowledge, by not sharing it, by not using it. And also a person wastes himself with knowledge that Allah has given him. How? By using it for the dunya. When a person uses the knowledge that Allah has given him for the dunya, and not for the akhirah, not for the benefit of the deen. So Rabi'ah said that it does not behoove any person who has been given knowledge that he wastes himself. No, he must never ever waste himself. How can a person waste himself when he has been given knowledge? First of all, by not implementing it, by not acting according to it. And secondly, by not spreading it. Because if a person acts on it, if a person implements it, if a person does amal, then what will happen? Allah will reward him for that. But if a person does not use that information, does not use that knowledge, then he is wasting himself. Secondly, by not spreading that knowledge. We know about the high rank, the great virtue of the person who learns and he teaches, the person who shares therein, who spreads the knowledge. We know about many ahadith, many verses in the Qur'an that tell us about that. If a person does not spread the knowledge, then what is he doing? He is wasting himself. So these are the two ways through which a person wastes himself despite having ilm. So what does a person have to do? How can a person make himself useful when he has been given knowledge? By doing a number of things. First of all, muraji'ah. What does that mean? Rujur, going back to the ilm, revision. Meaning that a person makes sure that he does not forget. If a person learns, he studies, he understands, he memorizes, but after some time, he forgets then what use was that knowledge? Isn't that a waste? Think about it. If you have spent 18 months to 2 years studying the Qur'an, but after that you forget, are you not wasting a portion of your life? You spent 2 years doing something, but after that you did not use that knowledge, you did not benefit from it. Have you not wasted yourself? You wasted that knowledge and you have wasted yourself. So the first thing is muraja'ah, revision so that a person does not forget. Because if a person forgets what he has learned, then he has wasted himself. Secondly, mudakara. What does that mean? That mentioning it, meaning spreading that knowledge, sharing that knowledge, sharing that khayr that a person has. Because if a person keeps it to himself, eventually he will forget. But as you keep revising, you keep sharing, then you remember, other people remember, you are able to do amal, other people are able to do amal. You're benefiting yourself, and you're benefiting other people. And the third thing, amal. 
amal, amal is necessary. So with these three ways, a person benefits himself, rather he makes himself useful. How? Through the knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given him. And this is why it was said, qayyidul ilma bil amal. Qayyidu. What does qayyidu mean? Hmm? It's from qayyid to restrain, right? So restrain, keep, al-ilm, knowledge, how? Bil amal, with amal. If you do amal on your ilm, then you will keep that ilm. But if you don't do amal on that ilm, then you will lose that ilm. If you act upon the knowledge that you have, then you will keep that knowledge. But if you don't act upon that knowledge, then you will lose that knowledge. Similarly, it has also been said that qayyiduhu bil kitaba, That keep knowledge how? By writing it. By writing it. Now when you will write it, You will save it with yourself, you can revise it, and then you can also share it with others. But if a person does not write, if a person does not do amal, then he is wasting that ilm, and he is also wasting himself. And it does not behoove a person to whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given ilm, that he wastes himself. All that talent that Allah has given him, is not bringing khair to the people. How many people know the Qur'an? How many people understand the Qur'an? Think about your family circle, your friend circle. How many people understand the Qur'an, know the Qur'an the way you do? Perhaps very few. Then is it fair that Allah has given you this khair and you don't share it with other people? Is it fair? No, it's not fair at all. مَن يُرِدِ اللَّهُ بِخَيْرٌ يُفَقِّهُ فِي الدِّينَ And Allah has given you this khair and you waste yourself. That's unfair. That's injustice against yourself and injustice against mankind and ingratitude to the favor of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it does not behoove any person to whom Allah has given even a little bit of knowledge that he wastes himself by not spreading that knowledge. We think that only if you know we have the perfect chance, the perfect ability, the perfect scenario to share the knowledge that we have, only then we will go forth. But a person can benefit people in many, many ways. He can benefit himself and he can also benefit other people in many ways. And these days especially, there's so many opportunities. We think that only if the husband gives 100% you know, permission and he's 100% supportive, then we will do it. And if he's not even a little bit supportive, then we cannot do anything. No, we have discussed this earlier. Once you make up your mind, you ask Allah to open the doors for you, then Allah will open those doors and no one can close them. No one at all can close them. And there are many ways of benefiting people. You can share the knowledge that you have, you can spread it in your own house, to your friends, to your family, to even children. Little children, they're so eager to learn. You can teach them so many things. So find any opportunity. But please, this knowledge that you are learning, you have to share it. Otherwise you're wasting yourself. You're wasting yourself. You have to share it in whatever capacity, in whatever way that you can, whether it is by writing or by speaking, anything that you can do. But please do it. Don't waste yourself. Only a few people have been given this khair. And if we keep it to ourselves, this is a great injustice. حدثنا عمران بن ميسرة قال حدثنا عبد الوارث عن أبي التياح عن أنس قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إِنَّ مِنْ أَشْرَاطِ السَّاعَةِ Indeed from أَشْرَاطِ السَّاعَةِ أَشْرَاط, the signs of a sa'ah of the hour. Of the signs of the hour are أَنْ ذَاتْ يُرْفَعَ الْعِلْمُ Knowledge will be lifted. Knowledge will be lifted. Meaning, people will lose it. People will have no more ilm. وَيَثْبُتَ الْجَهْلُ 
and jahl ignorance will become firm meaning that is what will be rampant that is what will be widespread wa yushrab al-khamr and khamr alcohol will be drunk wa yadhhar zina and zina will also become widespread the signs of the hour the signs that the day of judgment is close firstly that ilm will be lifted up and how will ilm be lifted up by the death of the knowledgeable people by the death of the knowledgeable people it doesn't mean that there will be no more books there will be no more websites there will be no more lectures there will be no more you know sources resources from where you can gain ilm no many resources but ahlul ilm will not be there people who have knowledge in their hearts they are not present anymore you will find websites that have so many books bookstores that have so many books libraries that are full research that has been done i mean if you think about ilm it's everywhere these days but ahlul ilm how many are there how many of them are actually present today very few and those who do have ilm unfortunately they're wasting themselves by keeping that knowledge by forgetting that knowledge by not sharing it with others so it is of the signs of the hour that knowledge will be lifted up how by the death of the knowledgeable secondly the second sign of the hour is wayasbutal jahl that ignorance will become sabit why because ilm will be lifted then obviously if ilm is gone then its opposite will take place if ilm is gone then jahl ignorance will become widespread that is what will take hold and this is true people have many books but in their hearts they're ignorant in their minds they're ignorant they possess many lectures many cds many sets many things but when it comes to actually knowing the stuff no many times people say yeah i have this book have you read it no i have these cds have you listened to them no what's the point of having that knowledge if you haven't benefited from it what good is that book if it's just sitting on your bookshelf for years and years and you're never going to use it you're never reading it ilm is not just about purchasing books and storing them in your bookshelves ilm is understanding that knowledge preserving it in your heart and applying it and spreading it but if you love the cover of your book and if you have it as your decoration piece in your living room then it's only going to serve that purpose it's not going to benefit you it's not going to benefit other people that do not come out then the hearts of people are not changed of course we have learned earlier that there are many ways of learning knowledge of them is learning from a book and another is learning through a teacher but we know that learning from the book is not as beneficial as learning from a teacher directly so if a person who has the ability to teach even if it is teaching the other person how to recite the quran if you have that ability if you can teach someone the translation of the quran even forget about tafsir even if you can teach them the basic meaning of the quran but if you don't do that isn't that a crime it's a huge crime the third sign of the day of judgment wa yushrab al khamru alcohol will be drunk what does it mean by this is alcohol not drunk today was it not drunk at the time of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam of course what is meant by this is that it will be drunk a lot it will be consumed a lot so many foods today what do they have alcohol in them the way alcohol has spread today perhaps it was not like that before and fourthly wayadhara zina and zina adultery fornication will become very common zahir what does zahir mean two meanings of zahir right one is 
apparent, visible, and the other is dominant. That first of all, it will become visible everywhere. Don't think about non-Muslim societies. We're talking about all over the world. All over the world. From the most advanced places to the most backward places. Most educated people to the most illiterate people. From people who are considered religious and people who are considered non-religious even. Everywhere. Every country, every city, every place on this earth. What has become very common? Zina. And it has also become the dominant way. Meaning, people do zina more than they marry. Most people will prefer staying unmarried to being married. And why is that? So one of the reasons is that zina has been made very easy and nikah has been made very difficult. And when nikah has been made difficult, when fitna is so much, when there's so many temptations, and nikah has been literally prohibited for people, then obviously what will they turn to? Zina. Just recently somebody was telling me about this person they know of, who when they were going to university, they requested their parents, please get me married to this person. And the parents had no way. You're not getting married. You don't have a job, you don't have your education yet. And obviously they were not allowed to get married. Eventually, both of them went to the same school. They were Muslims, of course, practicing, very active in the Muslim community. And eventually, they ended up doing something haram. Haram. And now they're, you know, they're confused, like, what to do? And they were asking me that, that what should be done in their case. I said, you're not going to solve the problem until you get them married. It's like if you put, put a band-aid, eventually the problem is going to come again. So you have to get them married. That is a solution. Why were they prevented in the first place? If you think about it, they are living in a Western country. They're going to a university where there's so much fitna. How can you ever think that your young son or your young brother does not have emotions? How can a person even think like that? And if they're saying, get me married, then who's that fault? Them or you? Both. Both are equally responsible. So, وَيَظْهَرَ zina, zina will become common. Will become very visible even in the Muslim communities, unfortunately. And there are many reasons to that. Next hadith. حدثنا مسدد قال حدثنا يحيى عن شعبة عن قتادة عن أنس قال He said, Anas رضي الله عنه, he said, لأحدثنكم Surely I will definitely narrate a hadith to you. Hadithan a hadith. I will narrate a hadith to you. لا يحدثكم أحد بعدي None will narrate it to you after me. Why do you think Anas رضي الله عنه said that? I will narrate a hadith to you that no one can narrate to you after me. Hmm? Okay, because he's the only one who heard the statement. Nobody else was there to witness that. Any other reason? Anas رضي الله عنه was one of the last companions to pass away. He was one of the last companions to pass away. He lived the longest amongst them because he was very young when he came to the Prophet ﷺ. And when he said this, when he narrated this hadith, perhaps he knew that there's no other companion who's alive. So he was the only one to narrate this hadith. So, لَأُحَدِّثَنَّكُمْ حَدِيثًا لَا يُحَدِّثُكُمْ أَحَدٌ بَعْدِي سَمِعْتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ يَقُولُ I heard him saying, مِنْ أَشْرَاطِ السَّاعَةِ Of the signs of the hour is what? أَنْ يَقِلَّ الْعِلْمُ That ilm will become very قَلِيل will become very less, will become very scarce. Knowledge will be very rare. أَنْ يَقِلَّ الْعِلْمُ وَيَظْهَرَ الْجَهْلُ And ignorance will become widespread. وَيَظْهَرَ الزِّنَا And zina will also become widespread.
and the women will increase. الرجال, and the men will be very few. حتى, to the point that يَكُونَ there will be لِخَمْسِينَ for fifty imra'atan women الْقَيِّمُ maintainer الْوَاحِدْ one. The closer the hour, women will be so much and men will be so few that over fifty women there will be only one man to take care of all of them. Fifty women to one man. A man is responsible for fifty women, whether they are his, you know, mother, aunts, daughters, whoever. But fifty women, one man is in charge of, to take care of. In this hadith we see that the Prophet ﷺ is telling us about some signs of the Day of Judgment. Remember that when it comes to the Ashratul Sa'a, the signs of the Day of Judgment, they are of three types. With regards to time, they are of three types. First of all, there are signs that are sabiqa or ba'ida, meaning those signs that have already happened, that have already occurred and they're over. And what are they? They are the minor signs of the Day of Judgment, and they are, for example, the coming of the Prophet wasallam, and the splitting of the moon. The hour has come very close and the moon has already split. So that incident happened, it's over. The second type of the signs of the Day of Judgment are those that are mutawasitah. Mutawasitah. What do you understand from the word mutawasitah? From wasat, from the middle. It refers to those signs that have happened, however they're not over yet. They've happened, but they're not over yet. Rather, as time goes by, they become more prevalent, they become stronger, they increase, Okay, they become more widespread, and these are many. Like for example, the building of tall buildings. By who? By the owners of black camels. That talid al-amatu rabbataha. When a slave woman gives birth to her own master. So we understood that what it means is that children will be more dominant over their parents. And we see that this is happening today and it's only increasing. It's only becoming stronger as time goes by. Kasiyat ariyat, women who are dressed but yet they are naked. The amanah being lost. There are many signs which are like this. And um, as time goes by, they increase and of them are those that are mentioned in this hadith. The third type of signs are qariba or kubra. And by the way, the first two are both sughra, the minor signs of coming close to the Day of Judgment. The third is qariba or kubra, the major signs that the Day of Judgment is very near. And these are qariba, meaning they will come, they will appear very, very close to the Day of Judgment. And according to one hadith, they are ten in number. Of them are what? The coming of Ya'juj Ma'juj, the coming of Dajjal, the coming of Isa a.s. The dukhan, the smoke, the dabbatul ard. There are many. From other hadith, we learn about the coming of the Mahdi and so on and so forth. So anyway, there are three types of the signs of the Day of Judgment. Over here, these signs are which ones? The mutawassila. That have appeared, but they become stronger and stronger as time goes by. They become more and more widespread. Like for example, zina. Was it not common at the time of the Prophet ﷺ amongst the mushrikeen? It was. But as the people left those ways, you know, those ways also, they stopped. However, in other places, it was very common. Isn't it? The places where Islam had not reached. But we see that now, despite the fact that people are Muslim, but still, zina is becoming so common, even amongst the Muslims. Forget about non-Muslims. Even amongst the Muslims. And even the non-Muslims, there was a time when 
marriage and family was given a lot of importance. But we see that as time is going by, marriage and family are not given as much importance. People, people prefer to remain single than get married. And it's not possible that single people don't have any emotions. No, of course they do. Or that they don't have any desire. Of course they do. So how do they fulfill that? Through ways that are prohibited. So such signs, they become more and more common and stronger. So over here we see in this hadith that of the signs of the Day of Judgment is that knowledge will become very scarce, very rare. What does it mean by this? That there will be very few people who are knowledgeable. There will be very, very few people who are knowledgeable. They can be counted on fingers. Very few. Such that a person would hardly find another who is knowledgeable of the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that he can ask him the answers to the problems that he is facing. So, knowledge will become very little. And on the other hand, jahl, ignorance will become rampant. And obviously this jahl, ignorance does not mean illiteracy. But what does it mean? Jahl of, ignorance of, the sharia of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. People are more ignorant of the deen of Allah than they are knowledgeable of it. Didn't the same thing happen with the Bani Israel? That only a few people knew the deen, but the majority of the people, what was their problem? لا يعلمون الكتاب إلا أماني وإنهم إلا يظنون Prophet ﷺ was indeed truthful when he said that you will follow the ways of the Bani Israel. So jahl will become more common. Likewise, zina will become zahir. It will be the norm. And then women will be more than men. What does it mean by this, that women will be more than men? This has been understood in two ways. First of all, that literally more females are born compared to men. The population of women is more than men. More females are born compared to males. And secondly, some have said that this is an indication to the increase of the fitan, of the trials that will occur. Like for example, many wars, many battles, a lot of killings that will result in the majority of the men dying and the majority of the women surviving. That as time goes by, fitan will increase. Fitan will increase. So as a result, there will be more wars, more battles, more haraj, people will be killed. And as a result, women will be there, but there will be very, very few men. First of all, strive harder to gain knowledge. And secondly, whatever they know, they don't share with others. As a result, ignorance will become widespread. As a result, zina will become more common. As a result, there will be more fitna. People will be, become more impatient, killing one another on the slightest of things. As a result, women are more, men are less. I want to say something about the previous hadith that you did about ruining yourself if you have knowledge and not. So like, I, I just wanted to share. I was writing an article yesterday and I was having so much trouble. So I went out for a walk. I was having trouble trying to write what I was thinking. And um, I went out for a walk and I saw this like uh, really old man. He was probably in his... He wasn't actually that old. He just looked so old. He was probably in his 40s. And like all he had was like his face was like full of dust. His hair was all over the place. And he was just sitting in downtown. And all he had with him was a pack of cigarettes and another pack of cigarettes and another pack of cigarettes. And like that's all he had with him. And I just thought to myself like 
he like you know life probably pushed him down to the the greatest degree which is why he's made this of himself but i thought if he actually believed and and if all of us actually believe that you know we can be of some use or we are worth something then we can impart whatever knowledge we have whether it's knowledge or it's whether it's thoughts or whether it's um inspiration whether it's anything we can give it to other people um otherwise we're going to end up like that not specifically like that but metaphorically we will end up like that literally he was ruined like there was nothing for him but like i mean and i went downtown a couple times and i always see the same guy he's either sitting in starbucks or he's sitting on a bench and he's smoking he literally lives in downtown in streetsville and yeah i just thought to myself like you know if we actually believe in ourselves empower ourselves just a little bit to think that we are worth something and we yes. can impart knowledge to other people yes. we won't end up literally ruining ourselves and being worthless creatures just crawling on the earth yes. Allah didn't create us for that purpose exactly. like we're worth so much more than that very true that our problem is that we don't think that this knowledge is actually valuable because if we consider this knowledge to be a treasure then we would definitely feel very empowered then we would be confident and we wouldn't just keep this treasure with ourselves but we would spread it isn't it at least we would show it at least it, it would be visible in the way we live in the way we act in the way we behave but if it's not benefiting us it's because we don't feel that it's a treasure wasting yourself oh it's just about me it doesn't really matter so what if i've given i don't have to tell anybody else but you see the widespread effects of you not spreading the knowledge all this is a result of you staying in your house and not doing anything about the problems that, that are coming up here exactly that if we don't spread the knowledge that we have then it's going to have a lot of effects I actually, uh, on the weekends, I teach the teenage girls and just the, you know, the importance of spreading knowledge. Uh, these girls, they go to high schools, they go to middle schools, and they're facing a lot of these issues that we're talking about in the Hadith. And subhanAllah, like a lot of these girls, I, you know, they have a lot of boy issues. And I talk about them, you know, that what, you know, what do you want to do? And they say, oh, you know, is it wrong to have boyfriends? What's wrong with that? Like, they are very confused. It's not that they, they purposely want to do these things. They just don't know. Yes. So I told them, you know, instead of committing zina, why don't you just get married? And they said, Ew, why? You know, why should we get married? We're so young. But I said, then you have no problem, you know, getting, you know, a boyfriend and, you know, doing all the haram stuff, but you have a problem with getting married. So it, even in our culture, it's so widespread that, you know, commonly accepted that girls and boys can go out, but to get married so young is frowned upon. So there's a huge need that, you know, there's girls that need this knowledge. Yes. And uh, so, you know, if you have time, even if you teach, you know, girls in, in your home or somewhere, you know, young children, they really need it because they really don't know. Bab fadl al-ilmi The fadl of ilm What does the word fadl literally mean? Hmm? Extra Over here, fadl does not mean virtue Over here it means increase, abundance of, the excess of Because earlier in this kitab we already read about the virtue of knowledge We learned about the fadl of ilm Over here, according to Ibn Hajar, fadl means ziyada, increase, abundance, excess But some have understood fadl over here as virtue as well. So, Fatlil Ilmi. What does this chapter heading show to us? That the abundance of knowledge is a very blessed thing. It's something from which a person benefits greatly. The more a person knows, the better he is, the more he can benefit himself, the more he can benefit other people. And the more a person learns, the more he grows, the stronger he becomes, the greater his impact is on the society. حدثنا سعيد بن عفير قال حدثني الليث قال حدثني عقيل عن ابن شهاب عن حمزة بن عبد الله بن عمر أن ابن عمر 
that Ibn Umar عنه, he said, Qala, he said, Samirtu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam aqal. I heard the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saying, Bayna, once while, Ana, I was na'imun sleeping. Once while I was sleeping, Utitu, I was brought, meaning it was brought to me. Biqadahin, with goblet, Lebanon of milk. So once I was sleeping, I saw that a goblet of milk was brought to me. Fasharibtu. So I drank, meaning I drank that milk. And I kept drinking. Hatta until inni indeed I la'ara, I saw a riyya. What does a mean? Moisture, wetness. So I could see the wetness, the moisture, yakhruju coming out fi alfari, from my nails. This is his dream, right? That he saw that he was drinking the milk and he kept on drinking so much so that the moisture was coming out of his nails. He saw it coming out of his nails. What does it show? Huh? That he drank so much. Summa then, and there was still so much that أعطيت, I gave fadli, my extra, meaning whatever extra milk that was there, I gave it to Umar ibn al-Khattab. To Umar radhiallahu anhu. Qalu, the people said, فَمَا سَوَّتْ أَوَّلْتَهُ What did you interpret it as? Ya Rasulullah, O Messenger of Allah. Qala, he said, Al-ilm, knowledge. Knowledge. What do we see over here? That the Prophet ﷺ drank that milk and every part of his body and skin was drenched with that, filled with that, infused with that milk. And he gave the excess to who? Umar anhu. What's the similarity between milk and ilm? Just like, you know, milk, you know, penetrated his body coming out of his nails. So ilm, it can affect all of your body. Every part of your body can show that there is ilm inside. What's the similarity, resemblance between knowledge and milk? That both have purity, both are beneficial. And both are very nutritious. Milk, very nutritious. If you think about it, a child, when a child is born, for the first six months, what is it that the child gets its nutrition from? The only thing, milk. Isn't it so? The mother's milk. They don't need any apples or any vegetables or any meat or anything. All of the nutrition comes from where? From the milk. And throughout life, milk is necessary. Isn't it? And people who cannot have milk due to some allergy or some sensitivity, then what happens? They have to take other foods in order to compensate for the loss. So milk is something that is extremely beneficial, extremely nutritious for the body. And similarly, knowledge is also extremely beneficial. Both are ghida. Both are food. Where milk fulfills our physical need, similarly, knowledge fulfills our spiritual, our mental, our emotional needs. If a person does not have milk, then his calcium will be very low. His bones will be affected. Similarly, if a person does not have ilm, then he will have a very weak structure. You understand? Very weak structure. Very weak foundation. He will have no firmness. He will have no sabbat. Just think about it. If your bones are weak, if you have no bones, then what will happen? What will happen? You cannot stand. You cannot walk. Isn't it? You cannot do so many things. If your teeth are weak even, chewing is such a problem. And if a person has solid bones, then he has a solid structure, a solid foundation. He can do so many things. Similarly, knowledge. If a person has knowledge, he has something within him. And if a person does not have knowledge, then he doesn't have any firmness, any stability. He will start an action, 
He will forget it. He will stop it. But as a person gains knowledge, he becomes firm in his religion. So both are nutrition for the body. Both are ghida. And both are beneficial in many ways. And while they are nutritious, at the same time, they also have halawa. You know, sweetness. Isn't it? When you have milk, you know, yes, as a child, perhaps you had milk because your mom forced you to. But many times now when you have milk, you enjoy it. You know, that cold glass of milk sometimes with even one cookie, you know, it's so nice. You enjoy it. Many times people will have it as a, as a snack. So it's not something that you have to force yourself to drink unless you're not in that habit and, you know, you don't like it for whatever reason. But generally people who are okay with milk, who have a good attitude towards milk, then they enjoy it. It has a sweetness to it. It brings pleasure. Likewise, ilm. You learn it, but as you learn, there's a particular sweetness. You enjoy it, you relish it. And similarly, both are a source of quwa, both are a source of strength as well. Milk makes you strong, and ilm also makes you strong. And there are endless benefits of milk as well as knowledge, which are very similar. Now in this hadith, we see that the Prophet ﷺ was drinking milk, and he was literally infused with that milk. It filled him up to the point that there was so much more that he gave the extra to Umar anhu. And this shows, this hadith tells us about the great knowledge that Umar anhu possessed. Definitely Abu Bakr anhu, his fadila was greater than Umar anhu. But this hadith shows to us that Umar anhu's knowledge was definitely blessing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given to him. And we see that the knowledge that he possessed was a source of great benefit for himself and also for the Muslim Ummah. Isn't it so? For example, even at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, there were many times when he suggested some things and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed verses, you know, exactly as what he had suggested. For example, at the Battle of Badr, afterwards, what he suggested with regards to the prisoners, that is exactly what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala liked. Similarly, when it came to hijab, he is the one who was after the Prophet ﷺ, tell your wives to cover, tell your wives to cover. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the verses about hijab. So it shows the great knowledge that Umar anhu possessed. Similarly, after the death of the Prophet ﷺ, when Abu Bakr anhu was the Khalifa, what happened? He was after Abu Bakr anhu to have the Qur'an collected and written. And Abu Bakr anhu, even though he was hesitant, Umar anhu was after him. Then Umar anhu, when he was a Khalifa, then again, so many things happened. When he was a Khalifa, what does this show? The great knowledge he had, and with that knowledge, how much benefit he brought to the Muslim Ummah. And 20 rakahs, and that's why we have this benefit of having, you know, 20 or 8. And some scholars say that it's even ijma to have 20 rakahs, you know, subhanAllah. Yeah, that but it, that it was as, at his time that Salatul Taraweeh was established. Because everybody did not know how to recite the Qur'an, and everybody did not have the entire Qur'an memorized. So he did not want people to be deprived of Qiyamul Layl in the nights of Ramadan. Similarly, it was at his time that he appointed people to, you know, teach the Qur'an and other related knowledge, beneficial knowledge as well. And so many things he started, he established that have continued till today. The Hijri calendar, I mean, the list is endless. So, at the abundance of knowledge that he was given. So, this was the result of the knowledge that Umar anhu had been given. We learn about the fadl of ilm that Umar anhu possessed that, that was given to him by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Let's continue. Bab al-Futya. Futya is from fatwa. What does fatwa mean? Giving a verdict. 
So giving fatwa, wahua while he, meaning the mufti, the person who is giving the fatwa, is waqifun, is stationary, ala upon adabba, the writing animal, wagayriha, and other than it. So giving fatwa while a person is sitting on his vehicle, you can say, and that vehicle is stationary. It doesn't mean that a person is standing on the dabba, but what does it mean that he's sitting stationary on the dabba? Meaning the dabba is not moving. And the word dabba, it doesn't just apply to an animal in the sense that it doesn't just apply to a camel or a horse or anything like that, but rather it is said that in the dictionary it applies to kulluma mashia ala al-ard. Anything that walks on the earth, that moves on the earth. Ma yurkabu, that which is embarked on, that which a person rides on. So whether it is an animal or a car or a plane or anything. So a person giving fatwa while he is sitting on his vehicle. What's the point? The point is to show that a person may answer a question that he is asked even if he is in a vehicle. That a person may engage in learning and in teaching even in the car. Even when traveling. Meaning, it's not necessary that a person learns and teaches only in a classroom setting. It can be done even outside of that. It can be done even outside of that. In whatever state a person may be in. In the Quran we learn, الَّذِينَ يَذْكُرُونَ اللَّهَ قِيَامًا وَقُعُودًا وَعَلَى جُنُوبِهِمْ So يَذْكُرُونَ اللَّهَ Standing, sitting, reclining. In whatever state that they may be in. So likewise, if a person has ilm and somebody is asking him a question while he is walking or while he is traveling, then a person should not say, oh, it's not a classroom, so this is against the etiquette of ilm. No, yes, definitely, ilm does require some adab from us. That when we're in the class, we should be sitting with adab. That we should be sitting silently, we should be focusing. However, there are times when a person is doing something else, so just because he's doing something else doesn't mean that he should deprive himself of learning. No. So for example, you're in the kitchen, you're cooking, you're cleaning the house. At the same time, can you not listen to a beneficial lecture and increase in your knowledge? Of course you can. Similarly, a person is going in the car, can they not listen to an audio book? Of course they can. So learning and teaching, yes, primarily this is done in a proper setting. However, it can also be done outside of that setting. Yet that we shouldn't limit ourselves when it comes to learning knowledge, when it comes to imparting, sharing knowledge, that make use of your time. Many times we complain that we're so busy with our families or with our children or with so much housework. We don't get the time to study. We don't get the time to do this and this. I want to do all of this work. Good. You know, you want to do all of that work. But just because you don't have a lot of time on your hands doesn't mean you should deprive yourself. How much ever, whatever you can do, however, just do it. You know, there are many people who have listened to the entire recording of the Alimu Quran program just in their cars. I know at least one person who has done that who have heard the entire tafsir of the Qur'an, how? In their car. Just driving to work and back from work. Making use of that time, right? But if a person thinks, no, I will study, you know, when I can sit in the class, well, you're not going to get that opportunity, perhaps. The way your life is, or the kind of responsibilities you have. So don't deprive yourself. حدثنا إسماعيل قال حدثني مالك عن ابن شهاب عن عيسى بن طلحة ابن عبيد الله عن عبد الله بن عمر بن العاص أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وقف that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم he وقف he paused meaning he stood في حجة الوداع at حجة الوداع بمنا at منا للناس for the people يسألون who they were asking him meaning they were asking him questions and the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم was on his animal 
فجا اہو سہی کیم ٹم ہو رجر امین فقال اینڈ ہی سیڈ لم اشور آئی ڈی ناٹ ریئلائز فلق تو سو آئی شیوڈ مائی ہیئر قبل بفور اینڈ بہ دیٹ آئی سلاٹرڈ مائی اینیمو سو آئی ڈینٹ ریئلائز آئی اینڈ اپ کٹنگ مائی ہیئر بفور آئی سلاٹر دی اینیمو فقال سو دا پروفیٹ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم سیڈ اد بہ سلاٹر ولا حرج دیر از نو ہارم میننگ اٹس اوکے ڈونٹ وری اٹس فائن فجا سو ہی کیم اخرو ادر فقال سو ہی سیڈ لم اشعر آئی ڈی ناٹ ریئلائز فن ہر تو سو آئی سلاٹرڈ قبل بفور ان ارمیہ دیٹ آئی وینٹ فور رمی قال ہی سیڈ ارمی ڈو رمی ولا حرج اینڈ دیر از نو ہارم فما سوئل سو ہی واز ناٹ آسٹ ہو ان نبی صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم دا پروفیٹ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم ان شی ان اباؤٹ اینی تھنگ قدیمہ دیٹ واز ڈن بفور ولا اخرا اور انور واز ڈن آفٹر الا ایکسپٹ قال ہی سیڈ اف ال ڈو اٹ ولا حرج اینڈ دیر از نو ہارم سو اینی کوشچن ہی واز آسٹ یو نو آئی ڈیڈ دس فرسٹ اور آئی ڈیڈ دس لیٹر آئی میسٹ اپ دی آرڈر ان ادر ورڈس دا پروفیٹ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم سیڈ نو وریز نو پرابلم ولا حرج Now, in this hadith, we learn about Hajjat al-Wada'r. Hajjat al-Wada'r is known as the farewell pilgrimage. Hajjat al-Wada'r. Wada'r means farewell. Why? Because at this Hajj, the Prophet ﷺ said to the people that I do not know if I'm going to meet you again after this. So he was not sure if he was going to do another Hajj after that. And it was Hajj that was Ula and Akhir, meaning the first and last Hajj that the Prophet ﷺ performed after the Hijrah. It is said that before Hijrah, the Prophet ﷺ performed two Hajj, However, you know, it's quite possible that he performed more than that because he spent 13 years in Mecca as a prophet of Allah. So it's quite possible he performed more hajj, more than two. However, after the hijrah, only one hajj. After the hijrah, how many? Only one hajj. And this hajj is also known as Hajjatul Wada'a. And we learn in this hadith that the Prophet ﷺ, he was answering the questions of the people while he was you know, sitting on his animal, and the animal was waqafa, it, it was standing. And this shows that a person may address others, how? Even from an elevated place. Even from a place that is elevated. Then we also learn from this hadith about the fiqh of hajj, that if a person mixes up the order of a few rituals, not all of them, but some of them, then it's okay. And it shows to us about the vastness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy. How many thousands of people are performing hajj at the same time and they have to do so many things, especially at Mina, when it comes to Rami and the shaving of the hair and the slaughtering of the animals. There's so many things to do on the same day. So this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy that if a person changes the order for his convenience, you know, his hajj is still acceptable. Let's continue. Bab chapter Man Ajaba, the one who responded, Al-Futya, the fatwa, Bi-isharatil yadi, by The signaling of the hand, وَالرَّأْسِ and the head. Meaning a person answers a question, how? Not through words, not by عِبَارَة, but by إِشَارَة, by indication. That he indicates with his hand or by his head. So for example, somebody asks you something and you want to say yes, instead of saying yes, you just nod. So what does that mean? Yes. So is that permissible? Can you answer a question in this way? Or do you have to say the words? Imam Bukhari says you can also give the answers by indication. You don't have to say the words, but you can even indicate with your gestures. Why do you think he's mentioning this? Is it really that important? If it's the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, a person might say he didn't say it. It's not a qawli hadith. What else? That it's quite possible somebody is asking you about something and you're busy doing something else. 
For example, you are reading Ayatul Kursi after your salah. Now, it's not like you're saying, Subhanallah, Subhanallah, so you can pause in the middle and answer their questions. You're reading the entire Ayatul Kursi, right? And they come and ask you. Now, one is that you make them wait. But if it's something small and you can just nod with your head or gesture with your hand, you know, it saves your time, it saves their time. Any other benefit in doing this? It's proof that the action as well as the sayings of the Prophet ﷺ are both, you know, for us to follow. We cannot just say we're only to follow the words, but even the actions, the gestures, whatever he indicated. Also, sometimes it happens that a person who is answering questions, just imagine the time of Hajj with the Prophet ﷺ. How many people would have asked him questions? And he encouraged people to ask questions. Imagine if you have to say yes, 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 or no, 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 because this, 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 every time. You know, a point comes when you get a little tired, right? So if you can, you know, nod with your head or indicate gesture with your hand and, you know, get the message across and the person understands you correctly, then that is sufficient. Because, you know, we should be talking less and not a lot. Okay, So if a person is speaking the whole day, answering questions one after the other, then a point comes where he feels a bit tired. And we see that his actions were more than his words. So let's look at the hadith. حدثنا موسى بن إسماعيل قال حدثنا وهيب قال حدثنا أيوب عن عكرمة عن ابن عباس أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم سئل he was asked في حجته in his حج فقال so he said ذبحت I slaughtered قبل before an أرمية that I did the رمي meaning a man said a man asked that ذبحت قبل an أرمية فأومأ so he indicated who? The Prophet ﷺ, with his hand, قَالَ وَلَا حَرَجٍ He said, and there is no harm. قَالَ He said, meaning the person was asking, حَلَقْتُ I shaved قَبْلَ أَنْ أَذْبَحَ Before I slaughtered. فَأَوْمَأَ بِيَدِهِ So he indicated with his hand, وَلَا حَرَجٍ There is no harm. So he indicated with his hand that there is no harm, meaning it's okay. Now we see over here that the Prophet ﷺ indicated with his hand, meaning he told the other person through his gesture, that what he did was okay. What he did was correct. It is acceptable. So he did ishara. And there was no ibarah. There was no statement. Over here where it says, قَالَ وَلَا حَرَجٍ or فَأَوْمَ أَبِيَدِهِ وَلَا حَرَجٍ These words, وَلَا حَرَجٍ They could have been said by the Prophet ﷺ and it's also possible that the person who is narrating this hadith, he said these words to explain what the gesture of the Prophet ﷺ meant. So whether there was ibarah or not, what do we see? that there was definitely ishara. He definitely indicated with his hand and he clarified the answer without using words, just by the indication. حدثنا المكي بن إبراهيم قال أخبرنا حنظلة بن أبي سفيان عن سالم قال سمعت أبا هريرة عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال يقبض العلم The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said that علم will be taken away. قبض it will be taken away. وَيَظْهَرُ الْجَهْلُ وَالْفِتَنِ And ignorance and fitan, trials, tests, calamities, they will become very common, very rampant. وَيَكْثُرُ الْهَرْجُ And harj will also increase. قِيلَ It was said, يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهُ وَمَسَنْجَرَ وَاللَّهُ وَمَا الْهَرْجُ What is harj? فَقَالَ So he said, هَكَذَا بِيَدِهِ فَحَرَّفَهَا So he حَرَّفَهَا Meaning he turned it or he twisted it كَأَنَّهُ As if he يُرِيدُ He meant القتل Killing So he turned his hand in a way As if he meant killing So for example when you have to show somebody killing What do you do? 
Or for example, you just pass your hand, you know, on your neck, under your chin. So there are many ways to indicate killing. So the Prophet ﷺ, he answered the question how? By indicating his hand. And the people understood that what he meant was killing. So we learn from this that a person may answer the question through ishara, but that ishara must be understood properly by the people as well. The ishara must be understood properly by the people. You know, somebody once told me that if you go to this country and if you nod your head sideways, right to left, it means yes, Turkey, right? And if you nod your head up, down, it means no. Exactly opposite. So your ishara has to be understood properly by the person as well. So you have to keep that in mind when you're indicating with your hands or indicating with your heads. That it has to be ma'roof. It has to be something that is acceptable. People generally understand. Uh, you know, it's acceptable. Not that people misunderstand your gesture or they completely misunderstand what you have said, what you are trying to tell them. So in this hadith, what do we see? The Prophet ﷺ said that a time will come when knowledge will be taken away. Yuqbadu. It will be taken away. وَيَظْهَرُ jahlu, And ignorance will become lahir. As well as walfitan. Difficulties, tests and trials, wars, you know, natural disasters, many wars between people, battles, will be endless. And وَيَكْثُرُ الْهَرْجِ And harj will increase. The word harj in the language of the people of Habasha means qatl. So the Prophet ﷺ used their word. But the people who were sitting in front of him, they didn't understand. So he explained to them what harj meant by his signal, by his indication. So in a way there was ishara as well as ibarah. There was ibarah, but when people did not understand the ibarah, then he used ishara. So many times it happens, you're trying to explain something through your words, where people don't get it, so you use your hands and they understand better. So whatever method you can use to get the message across, use it. If you can use words, use them. But if you think gestures, actions are better, use them. Whatever works. You know, for example, when it comes to children, if you speak to them through words, many times what you say to them will just bounce back. They will not understand what you're saying. You also have to use your hands, your expressions, isn't it? Your gestures. You have to use a lot of body language. For example, if you just tell a child, I really like you. I love you. Maybe the child will not understand. But if you give a hug to the child, if you kiss the child, if you pass your hand over them, they will really know that you love them. Isn't it? To children, actions mean more than words. So whatever method you can use to get the message across, do that. Until today, whenever she forgot the ayah, she do by action. Ar-Rahman, Allama al-Quran, and she pointed in her brain and her body and the sand. MashaAllah, and... That many times children are taught, you know, for example, poems or concepts with gestures, you know, with the use of their hands. And uh, they're able to remember such things better. And they're actually able to understand as well. In the Ikhra class over here, the children are being taught about this poem, Jabalun, right? A mountain that is Alin. So they raise up their hands like this. You know, it, it seems it, the shape is like a mountain and it's high and tall so they can relate with it. Uh, they can fully understand then. And it's quite possible you come across a person who doesn't speak your language. So are you not going to share anything with them? You're not going to tell them anything good? You can still 
communicate with them through your hands, through your gestures. Somebody, some of her sister, she advised her that don't use too many hands of yours. And same sister was being told by other students of her that sister, your hands, they help us a lot. Your gestures, it gives us more understanding as you use the words. Mm-hmm. So same thing, subhanAllah, we got the answer that these are important mm-hmm. um, if yeah. they are being used properly. Yes, definitely there should be a balance. I mean, the Prophet ﷺ disliked if a person is giving a khutbah and he uses his hands too much, in the sense that he's constantly moving his arms and like excessively. That is something that is disliked. However, if it is you know being done in moderation, in a way that helps people understand you better, then it's good. By the way, in this hadith we see that Closer to the Day of Judgment, يُقْبَضُ الْعِلْمُ وَيَظْهَرُ الْجَهْلُ This is basically signs of the Day of Judgment. وَيَكْثُرُ الْهَرْجُ Killings, death, murders, قَتْل will become very, very common. Very common. And it's very true. You see this today. That people who are innocent, who haven't committed any crime, just for a slight disagreement or difference, they're killed. They're killed. Just recently, my father, one of his friends, who's also very knowledgeable, he was killed in Pakistan. Just people walked into his house as guests and they just took him and finished him. And a person who was, you know, elderly, knowledgeable, very active in the community, just like that, people came and killed him. Perhaps they had a difference in their aqidah because aqidah or their fiqh or whatever. Allah wa'ala what the reason was. But, you know, these days, a person does not even have to be a criminal. An innocent is just picked up and killed like that. And I'm sure if you ever read the news, ever watch the news, this is what you see. You know, a person wants to show something to the political party and the, you know, he will go and just kill innocent people. He will just start shooting, shooting, shooting and he will kill so many. Or just out of anger, racism. You know, you see recently there was a white person who walked into an area that was more black people lived over there and this boy came and he just shot him for nothing. He was a tourist. And similarly, a man in Norway, I believe, he's trying to get a message across to the government that there's too much immigration, and he went and shot, you know, people at the youth camp. So many people were killed over there. So this is something that is increasing day by day. Day by day. The qatil doesn't know why he's killing, and the muqtul doesn't even know why she's being or he is being killed. I just want to share, my grandfather has been killed just because of his wealth. Very true. It happens. People are killed because of their wealth. People are killed because they married someone or they did not marry someone or they did something or they didn't do something. Schools, colleges, universities, workplaces, malls, anywhere. As the Day of Judgment is coming close, this is becoming more and more common. And this is a result of what? Yuqbadul ilm. There is no more knowledge. People who have it are sleeping, are too comfortable in there lives. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَاتَّقُوا فِتْنَةً لَا تُصِيبَنَّ الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا مِنْكُمْ خَاصَّةً Fear the fitna that will not just affect those people who have done wrong among you only. It will also affect who? The innocents. So if you have something through which you can save other people, go ahead and save them. Otherwise, inevitably, you too will be affected. Even the mercy killing is also killing. Yes. Shar was explaining to us the other day. And, but they have, the people have found ways to kill people. Sometimes it's, it's the enmity, sometimes it's racial conflict or whatever. But the sick and the, the, those people who cannot, are helpless, are also killed in the name of mercy. Right. Abortions, so common. 
And it's said that even within Muslims, like for example, when it comes to aborting, this is so common. Unfortunately, it's very common. And people have no idea that it is wrong. They think it's okay. Give 500 and save millions that kill your daughter who's in your womb and uh, before she comes out, because if she comes out, then you'll have to spend millions on her education, on her whatever, and eventually when she's married, on her dowry. So give all this money so that you can save a lot of money later. And it's said many Muslims are unaware. Many Muslims are unaware that this is something that is not right. You know that if it is done, if a child is aborted past a particular stage, then uh, it's qatl. It's qatl. Diya has to be given. Blood money has to be given. You know by who? By the doctor, the one who performed the abortion. And secondly, by the one who gave the consent, the mother. And if the father is the one who forced it, then he has to give the blood money. So this is something so common. I remember when I was taking the course and we read some ayat about لا تقتلوا أولادكم. There was a doctor in our class who had performed so many abortions and she said she had no idea. She was a doctor. This was her profession. This is what she used to do. Out of ignorance. This is a result of knowledge being removed, being taken away. Um, when both of my kids, they were sick and... First I had one and then they had a, they gave us a choice to uh, give them an injection and let them die because they will give me lots of trouble. Then my second child when came they said the same to me. And then when we told this to the children aid they went to the sick kids and they asked every doctor who said this nobody said something. It's just for the family when they decide that the kids get injection and they go die slowly. It's just for them. But we decided not to do of course. Okay, let's continue. حدثنا موسى بن إسماعيل قال حدثنا وهيب قال حدثنا هشام عن فاطمة عن أسماء from أسماء فاطمة she narrated from أسماء أسماء رضي الله عنها was a sister of عائشة رضي الله عنها the daughter of Abu Bakr الصديق رضي الله عنه قالت she said أتيت عائشة I came to عائشة وَهِيَ And she was تُصَلِّي She was praying. فَقُلْتُ So I said, مَا شَأْنُ النَّاسِ What is the affair of the people? Meaning what's going on? How come everybody's praying? This is not the usual time for salah. How come everybody's praying? مَا شَأْنُ النَّاسِ Now Aisha Dilanha is praying. And Asma is asking her, مَا شَأْنُ النَّاسِ فَأَشَارَتْ إِلَى السَّمَاءِ So she pointed to the sky. فَإِذَا النَّاسُ قِيَامِ So all the people were قِيَامِ They were standing in prayer. فَقَالَتْ So she said, Subhanallah, Subhanallah. قُلْتُ I said, meaning Asma anha, she said, Ayatun, meaning is it a sign? Because there was a solar eclipse. The whole sky had become dark in the middle of the day, within moments. So the people were praying Salatul Kusuf, right? The eclipse prayer. So Asma came to Aisha anha, asking her, what's happening? What's going on? You know, why are people praying at this time? So she pointed to the sky. قُلْتُ So Asma anha, she said, Ayatun, Meaning a sign? Is, is this an ayah? فَأَشَارَتْ بِرَأْسِهَا So she indicated with her head while she is praying that yes. أَيْ hmm? Meaning yes. So أَيْ This is the wording of who? The narrator. فَقُلْتُ So I stood meaning Asma anha She stood حَتَّى until So she stood in salah as well. She joined the prayer along with Aisha anha And you know that Salatul Kusuf and the Prophet ﷺ prayed. How was it? Very long. Very long. The qiyam was very long and the rukur was almost as long 
And then the next rakah, the qiyam was again very long and the rukur was also long. So what happened? Hatta until tajallani al-ghashyu, tajallani, it overcame me. This is from tajalla, which means to manifest. So it manifested, meaning it overcame me. What al-ghashyu, the faintness. So in other words, I nearly fainted. I almost fainted. Fajaltu, so I, I put, so I began, asubbu, I was pouring, ala ra'si, upon my head, alma, the water. I started to pour water on my head, because she was overheated and she was exhausted. فَحَمِدَ اللَّهَ So he glorified Allah, he praised Allah, the Prophet ﷺ, عز وجل, النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ وَأَثْنَى عَلَيْهِ And he also sent praises on him. So in other words, after the salah was over, what happened? The Prophet ﷺ stood to give the khutbah. And how did he begin the khutbah? With the hamd of Allah, with the thana of Allah. ثُمَّ قَالَ Then he said, مَا مِنْ شَيْءٍ There is nothing. مَا مِنْ شَيْءٍ مَا نَاتْ مِنْ شَيْءٍ Anything. Lam not akun I was urituhu I was to be shown it illa except ra'aytuhu I saw it fi maqami in my place of qiyam so in other words anything that I was to be shown I was shown while I was praying hatta even al jannah the paradise one nar and the hellfire so while the prophet sallallahu was praying salatul kusufi was shown all of these things even jannah and an nar فَأُوحِيَ إِلَيَّ Then it was revealed to me that أَنَّكُمْ That indeed you تُفْتَنُونَ You all will be tested. You will be tried. فِي قُبُورِكُمْ In your graves. مِثْلَ Like. Then there is Jumla مُرْطَرِطَ أَوْ قَرِيبًا Or near. لَا أَدْرِي I do not know أَيَّ ذَلِكَ Which of that قَالَتْ أَسْمَا Asma said. Who is saying this? Fatima. Who took this hadith from Asma. So Fatima as she's narrating, she's saying, I'm not sure whether she said مِثْلَ or she said قَرِيبًا Fatima, if you go back to the beginning, عن فاطمة عن أسماء. So Fatima took this hadith from Asma. So she's saying that I do not know what Asma said when she was narrating the speech of the Prophet ﷺ. I'm not sure if she said مثلا or she said قريبا. So أنكم تفتنون في قبوركم مثلا أو قريبا. So مثلا similar to or قريب to what? من فتنة المسيح الدجال. Similar to the fitna of المسيح الدجال. Just as a fitna of the jal is very severe, likewise a fitna, the test in the grave is also very, very severe. Yuqalu, it will be said, ma ilmuka bihada rajul. What is your knowledge? What kind of knowledge do you have bihada rajul about this man? Which man? The Prophet sallallahu So ask for the believer. Aw or al-muqin, the one who has yaqeen. Fatima says, لا أدري, I do not know بأيهما, which of them two, قالت أسماء, أسماء said. I do not know whether she said mu'min or she said muqin. But in either case, mu'min or muqin, the believer or the one who has yaqeen. فيقول, so he will say when he's asked the question, ما علمك بهذا الرجل? He will say, هو محمد الرسول الله. He is Muhammad وسلم, the messenger of Allah. جاءنا, he came to us بالبينات, with the clear proofs, والهدى, and the guidance. فأجبنا, so we responded, we answered, واتبعنا, and we also followed. We responded to his call, and we also followed him. إِنَّا سَمِعْنَا مُنَادِيًا يُنَادِي لِلْإِيمَانِ أَنْ آمِنُوا بِرَبِّكُمْ فَآمَنَّا فَأَجَبْنَا وَاتَّبَعْنَا هُوَ مُحَمَّدٌ سَلَاثًا Three times. فَيُقَالُوا So it will be said, نَمْ sleep صَالِحًا As a righteous person. Now you may sleep. Sleep. Rest in your grave as though you were sleeping as a righteous person. 
قَدْ عَلِمْنَا Certainly we know in kunta that indeed you were لَمُوقِنًا bih That surely one who has yaqeen of it. We know, the angels will say, that we know that you have yaqeen of this. وَأَمْوَ munafiq And as for the hypocrite, أَوْ or murtab The one who has raib, irtiyab, the one who is doubtful. لَا أَدْرِي أَيَّ ذَلِكَ قَالَتْ أَسْمَا I do not know which of them Asma said, whether she said munafiq or she said murtab. فَيَقُولُ So he will say, لَا أَدْرِي I do not know. سَمِعْتُ nasa. I heard the people يَقُولُونَ شَيْئًا They were saying something. فَقُلْتُهُ So I also said it. I heard people saying that he was a messenger of Allah, so I also said it, but I do not know much about that man. I do not know much about him. In this hadith we see clearly that Aisha Dilarnha, she did ishara to Asma. How? In her salah. In her salah, as she was praying, she did ishara twice. First of all, with her hand to the sky, and secondly, with her head, implying yes. And this shows to us that in salah, a person may use ishara to communicate with the other, but obviously, only when there is something very, very necessary, urgent, that you cannot ignore. Now, imagine Aisha is praying and Asma comes and she's asking her that what's going on? And if Aisha does not respond to her, then Asma will be deprived of that reward of praying Salatul Kusuf, isn't it? And then she'll be confused and besides that salah is so long. So all that time Asma will be waiting. So it was something urgent, something necessary. This is why she used her gestures to communicate. This shows to us that a person may use their gestures to communicate with the other even when relaying something of ilm. This was not a fard obligatory salah, but she was praying. Okay, And in the Quran when we learn about salah, it includes all of the salah. We see over here that Aisha uh, she was praying salatul kusuf. The sun eclipsed in the life of the Prophet ﷺ and it was a complete eclipse. Okay, It was a complete solar eclipse. And this happened once during the life of the Prophet ﷺ. This happened on the 29th of Shawwal in the 10th year after Hijrah. It was a total solar eclipse. And when it comes to total solar eclipse, they are very rare events. They do occur on earth every 18 months. However, they only occur at one place around 360 to 410 years after. So just imagine, every 18 months they do happen. However, at one given place on the earth, a solar, a complete solar eclipse will only occur after about three to 400 years. So this was a very rare event. And this happened only once in the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ. And when this happened, the people were extremely afraid. Why? Because imagine it's daytime and all of a sudden within minutes, it's dark. The entire sky has darkened within moments. So the people were afraid and the Prophet ﷺ was also afraid. He was fearful. And the people actually thought that the hour had occurred. That the day of judgment had occurred. This is what people were afraid of. At this, the Prophet ﷺ commanded and the people gathered together for Salatul Jamir. Everybody prayed collectively and all of the people prayed behind the Prophet ﷺ. And he prayed two rak'at and in both rak'at he recited the Qur'an. He recited a lot of the Qur'an so the rak'at was very long and the rukur was also very long. And we learn in a hadith which is also in Bukhari that the Sahabi narrated that خَصَفَتِ الشَّمْسُ فَقَامَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ فَزِعًا يَخْشَى أَن تَكُونَ السَّاعَةِ فَأَتَى الْمَسْجِدَ فَصَلَّى بِأَطْوَلَ قِيَامٍ وَرُكُوعٍ 
wa sujudin ra'aytuhu qattu yaf'aluhu meaning nobody had ever seen him praying you know qiyam that long and in ruku' that long ever that was the longest qiyam that was the longest ruku' that the prophet sallallahu alaihi had ever performed in front of the people that he led people in and this was when the eclipse happened so when this happened asma she came to her sister to find out what was happening and she found her praying salah so when she figured out through her gestures that this is you know an ayah this is a sign meaning the the eclipse she also joined the salah however the salah was very long and asma radhiyallahu anha she was extremely exhausted perhaps it was hot but it was definitely very long so as a result she nearly fainted by the time the salah ended so she nearly fainted so as a result she started pouring water on her head and after the salah the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he addressed the people meaning he gave the khutbah so there was salah salatul jami' and after that there was also khutbah and in the salah the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was shown many things before he gave the khutbah in the salah he was shown many things even the hellfire even paradise and we learn from other narrations that at this occasion he was also shown in hellfire amr ibn luhay the person who introduced idolatry in arabia he saw him being punished in the hellfire and in the khutbah he admonished the people he advised the people he reminded them of hellfire of the trial of the grave and in zadul ma'ad this khutbah is recorded in more detail and we learned that at this occasion the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam also said that inna ash-shamsa wal qamar لا يخصفان لموت أحد ولا لحياته ولكنهما آيتان من آيات الله فإذا رأيتموها فصلوا. That the sun and the moon they do not eclipse because of the death or the birth of someone great, because this was a jahili belief that the people had that if there is a solar eclipse or the lunar eclipse it is because somebody important has been born or somebody important has passed away. Superstitious beliefs. So the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said it doesn't happen because of that. So such a belief has no basis, it is not correct. However, he said that this eclipse happens, why? Because it's of the ayat of Allah. They are, وَلَكِنَّهُمَا آيَتَانِ مِنْ آيَاتِ اللَّهِ It happens because they are the ayat of Allah. And what's the purpose of these signs? The khweef, fear, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes His servants fearful, afraid. Just imagine, the sky becomes dark all of a sudden. I remember... Once um, we were at Al-Huda and uh, we were all outside. There was a storm and within moments, literally a black cloud. I've never seen a cloud as black as that. The darkest cloud I've ever seen. I mean, literally it was black. It was like smoke. The wind was so fast. There was such a you know strong storm and the black cloud just came and it was dark. It was as though nighttime had come. It was so windy. Rain, hail, and that black cloud, and within moments it was gone. And all of us, we were just terrified. We just started doing istighfar because it was unimaginable. I mean, this is something that you don't see on a regular basis. So imagine when the eclipse happened, everybody was was afraid, and they thought that it was the hour. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows this why? To arouse fear in us. So that we become afraid. Afraid of what? The coming of death. The coming of the day of judgment. Because many times it happens that we get lost. You know, in our daily routine. And we don't think about death. We don't think about the day of judgment. We don't think about our actions. So when these things happen, they are meant to, they are meant to scare us. 
They are meant to scare us. And this is why we have been commanded that when this happens, we should hasten to the dhikr of Allah, we should hasten to dua, to salah, to takbir, istighfar, you know, being busy in righteous deeds. Why? Because the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can come at any time. Just as within seconds, the color of the sky can change. The entire scene can change. Similarly, the punishment of Allah can come at any moment. So at these times, what should we do? We should hasten to the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Nabi ibadi anni anal ghafurur rahim wa anna adabi huwal adabul alim. So yes, we should be hopeful of Allah's mercy, but we should also fear His punishment. So when Allah shows us these things, we should have fear. And this is why the Prophet ﷺ, he performed Salatul Kusuf. He ordered all of the people to come and they all performed the Salah. Even the women, as we can see, Aisha anha, Asma anha, even they prayed. And Salatul Kusuf, this is something that is a fard kifaya, meaning this is something that is mandatory on the entire community and not just every single individual. If some people perform it, it's good enough, but some people must perform it. Some people must perform it. And some scholars have even said that Salatul Kusuf should be performed just like Salatul Jumu'ah. Meaning, just as Salatul Jumu'ah is important, an announcement is made, people come, they listen to the khutbah, they pray collectively. Likewise, when an eclipse happens, the announcement should be made, people should come together, Salah should be prayed, and there should be a khutbah. That it's not just something that people pray on their own. No. Collectively, people have to Pray, announcement has to be made. Khutbah has to be there. And we see that in the khutbah, the Prophet ﷺ reminded the people of death, of the su'al, of the questioning in the grave. And that it will be as severe as a fitna of what? Masih al-Dajjal. And in the salah, at the end, what do we pray? We seek refuge with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala against that fitna. So this fitna of adab al-qabr, of qabr, this is also something that is very, very severe. That two angels will come and they will make a person sit and they will ask him questions. The muqin, the mu'min, he will respond. But the munafiq, he will not be able to. Why? Because the munafiq, how has he been described? Murtab. The other word that Fatima was not sure, what is that word? Murtab, the one who has doubt. Because he concealed kufr, but on the tongue he showed iman. In the heart was what? Doubt. And the mu'min has been described as muqin, the one who has yaqeen. So where is true faith? It is in the heart. In the Quran, Allah says, وَلَا تُطِعْ مَنْ قَلْبَهُ عَنْ ذِكْرِنَا It doesn't say, لِسَانَهُ عَنْ ذِكْرِنَا The heart is the place. The heart must have iman. And we also see in this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ, he warned the people, you know, severely. He spoke about death, he spoke about the grave, because at these times, this is what we should do. When an eclipse happens, you know, people generally take pictures or they share their experiences. Yes, you should see the ayat of Allah, but we should not forget the purpose. That this is something that should remind us of death. And this is something that we should do, remind one another of death, of the grave, of the trial and the grave as well. And look at the words that the muqin, when he will respond, he will be told, sleep, O virtuous one. Sleep, num. So in the grave, some people will sleep, and some will be punished. Those who have been striving, they will sleep. And those who have been enjoying, then they will suffer. So make your choice now. When it comes to ilm, it does not come with enjoyment. It comes with difficulty. So when you're going through this difficulty as well, 
keep reminding yourself, rest is later. Now is the time to work. Inshallah, we'll end over here. Subhanakallahum bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayka. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.